Today's episode of Dog Nation Daily is brought to you by Pella Window and Door of Georgia, viewed to be the best. Presented by DogNation.com, this is Dog Nation Daily, the daily podcast for Georgia Bulldogs fans. Here's your host, Brandon Adams. We said this last week, there are certain things that Kirby Smart does not want to do. One of those things is talk about the past. We kind of joked about the fact that Kirby Smart at times seems like he really does not want to talk about the past. But in light of Georgia's win against UAB on Saturday, and in a moment we'll get into the more of like the nuts and bolts from that game and kind of the key takeaways, I promise you we'll get there before today's done and probably do some of this again tomorrow there as well. We've got just so much to do today. We can't get it all in on one show. But we'll get into kind of the key takeaways from that game. But I think perhaps a big picture, almost a historic perspective on all of this to begin the day probably makes the most sense, especially in light of everywhere we've been here based on kind of how all of this got started. So after the game on Saturday, you already know the story. Georgia got its 85th win under Kirby Smart. Some of y'all were kind enough to kind of share some of that uh, graphic stuff that the SEC Network showed, and we talked about this a little bit last week, that by getting an 85th win out of 100 games, that was going to put Smart ahead of the likes of the Steve Spurriers, the Nick Sabans, the Bear Bryants, in terms of where he stands as an SEC coach through 100 games on the job. But on Saturday night, Kirby Smart was not really in all that reflective of a mood uh, about all of that. Kirby was asked, first question of the press conference, how does it feel to have coached 100 games? And Smart was already ready to kind of turn the page, not wanting to play the game on that too much. This is what Smart said on that on Saturday night. On the next, you know, that certainly takes an unbelievable organization, university, athletic department, President Moorhead, uh, Greg, um, Josh, I mean, all the guys that have been involved in this program uh, make our job much easier by supporting us uh, and the fans and, and the people that pay for the tickets and pay for the facilities. We wouldn't have uh, 85 wins out of 100 if we didn't have the, the organization we have. I mean, the people I work with every day, from Jonas Jennings to Brian Gant to Scott Sinclair, it's just incredible. So I couldn't do that without all the people, including Law. So as we said before, Kirby doesn't like talking about the past. It's obviously classy to kind of give credit to so many people around the program that's helped him achieve the success that he's achieved, more wins through 100 games than any coach in SEC history. And for him, that's even more significant because it's the first 100 games he's ever coached. Later on, he was asked about, the, you're in the same category now of the Bear Bryants and the Nick Sabans and the Steve Spurriers. And at that point in time, Kirby had kind of a funny joke on Saturday night that's only got a pretty big laugh in the press conference room. Once again, Kirby kind of sidestepping the chance to talk a whole lot about the history that he made. That's pretty, it's pretty steep company when you start talking about those people. I probably had an easier schedule. So. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, he had a little bit of a chuckle even himself when he said that. Very funny to say he had an easier schedule than these coaches like Bayer and Saban. That's how come he's able to win more games more quickly than they were able to win. But we're going to do for a second what Kirby did not want to do. Kirby doesn't like talking about his past or like talking about where he's been. He wants to be, as he told Chip Towers, on to the next. Well, we're going to pause on this just for a second. And I'm going to bore you for something you don't care about here for a brief minute, but I want to use it as a way of kind of explaining why all of this is so significant for Kirby, 85 and 15 after 100 games on the job. You know, you don't care about our numbers around here in terms of what our shows do and things like that, but it's my living. It's how I get paid, so I do care about that. And I was thinking about the show that we had 
that has probably had the single biggest audience of any episode we've ever done. In fact, to give you some context here, many, many years ago, this particular episode did probably about twice the numbers that today's show will do, even though the show is far bigger now than it used to be. Just every now and then you have a show that kind of, for whatever reason, just kind of captures people's attention a little bit more and has a much larger single audience than other shows do. As I said before, you don't care about that, but uh, but this kind of thing that I pay attention to. And many, many years ago, well before we ever even had video, well before streaming video was even much of an idea, we had a podcast that had such a large audience right at the time that Kirby Smart was hired. This is like a couple of weeks after Smart had been hired uh cbs analyst gary danielson had gone on a radio station and had predicted that kirby smart would win a national championship and here's the thing i understand the reason why i'm telling you this story is is because at the time that gary danielson who let's be honest here most georgia fans don't like and if you get the impression most sec fans fairly or not don't love gary danielson necessarily uh so you have this guy danielson that georgia fans don't really like but at the time Georgia fans were so hungry to win a national championship. They were so craving that kind of success for the program that they rushed to our podcast. We'd only been on we'd been on air less than a year at that point in time. Not that many people even knew who we were really at that point in time, uh, at least compared to kind of how it sort of feels now sometimes. But but people were rushing to our show because somebody somewhere with some with some fame, with some notoriety, dared to say this Georgia program that had been kind of lying dormant for quite some time uh, was going to win a national championship with Kirby Smart at the helm. And I was thinking about that because, you know, we've gotten used to watching Georgia win. They got the longest winning streak in the country. They've won the last two national championships. This has just sort of become what Georgia does, so much so that Kirby Smart, after winning his 85th game and 100 tries on Saturday, could just say on to the next. But way back in episode 70 of our program, today we're on like 2030-something, but way back then, episode 70 of our program, uh, the idea of winning a national championship, based on where Georgia had been, sort of felt like a little bit of a pipe dream. So let's go back and revisit this, because Kirby Smart may not want to talk about his history, but this is the history that he achieved. Gary Danielson actually got something right for a change. That's amazing to me. Episode 70 of our program. Well, here's what... Gary Danielson, the SEC college football analyst from CBS, said about the possibility of betting that Kirby Smart would win a national championship by that year. Here's Danielson. I would say you'd have to say yes on that bet because, first of all, there's a path, and that's why the Georgia job is so attractive. If you win the East, and I would have to say there's no reason why Georgia in that area, the way they recruit, the strength of the program, and they have a better path in the East than the West, you're one game away. So I'd have to say, if you have, if you want to bet and you have to bet your money, I would say it's more likely than not. So there you have it. Gary Danielson's got Georgia winning a national championship here in just the uh, next few years with Kirby Smart as a uh, head coach. That's certainly good news if you're a Georgia fan, I guess. I mean, listen to me right there. I'm almost kind of laughing at that a little bit. Not to say that I didn't think that Georgia obviously could win the national championship, but that's how kind of starved we all were for that kind of success for Georgia that it seemed like a little bit of an exaggeration yeah the next few years Kirby Smart's going to show up as a rookie head coach and within a few years he'll have won a national championship what if I could go back and tell that version of myself well BA it's actually going to be two and Gary Danielson your prediction of Georgia winning a national championship actually Georgia will have won a second national championship and after 
how many years in the job, 100 games coach, uh, Kirby will have only lost 15 games. 15 games? That's such a minuscule total uh, compared to, you know, kind of where things are here right now. I mean, as I said before, Kirby doesn't like talking about this level of history necessarily. We've all lived through it. And for those of us who are fans, we have been thoroughly entertained. But we're also watching the culmination of something really special that a program like Georgia, who had been starved for championship success for quite some time, for such a long time. Well, Kirby Smart's brought that, and he may not quite want to reflect on kind of where he's been here after uh, 2016, uh, his first year on the job, but the rest of us certainly should, and we should be filled with gratitude for what we've been able to see. All right, so shifting gears here for a moment, speaking of Gary Danielson, he also did another interview going back to Friday. He was on a show called Miller and Moulton. I guess it's a radio program, Midwest, somewhere like that. Um, And he was asked about Georgia on there. Now, this is where we're going to kind of transition what we saw from Georgia on Saturday night against UAB. But as kind of a setup for this, I want you to hear uh, Gary Danielson again, kind of giving you a little bit of a word of caution because he did the Georgia game against South Carolina last week and what he saw there perhaps maybe we're seeing a little bit more of right now at least the thought that this could be true Danielson a little tepid a little uh uh you know uh critical perhaps in his evaluation of the Georgia defense here right now this is from the Miller and Moulton show uh this is what Danielson said he saw versus South Carolina and perhaps we saw some of this ourselves in the game against UAB on Saturday. Let me let you hear now present day Gary Danielson that last week offering an evaluation of the Georgia defense. Overall, I would say that they still have overall great talent, but no eye-catching talent on the defensive front seven where you go, well, there's for sure a guy the defense has to game plan against. And they've had that for a good run of three years now, maybe even four years up front. However, in retrospect, and I wish I would have done it a little bit more as I watched the game, I guess their best player, Javon Bullard, not playing, it really makes a difference for that football team. You know, he was the MVP of both the semifinal and final game, and he is a difference maker. He's the captain of their defense. They've had a couple busts in the secondary. They're still really, really good. But, you know, with the injuries they've had at running back, breaking in a new quarterback, a new offensive coordinator, and without Bullard, I'm willing to say this is a team that's still growing. And I think that's the way that the Georgia fans should look at it, really. So Danielson says they're still really, really good, but dot, 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 that they have great talent, but it's not quite eye-catching talent. That's what Gary Danielson says. Now, there are a lot of times a guy like me doing a show like this would use that as kind of like bulletin board material of, oh, Gary Danielson takes a shot at the Georgia defense. George is about to show him how wrong he is. But based on what we saw Saturday night against UAB, you probably have to slow down on some of that stuff a little bit And you have to consider the idea that this Georgia defense for now, which we've gotten used to being the most dominant unit in the entire sport, you have to consider the possibility that at least for now, this group is a little bit of a work in progress. And there may be an aspect based on the Saturday game against UAB in which maybe Kirby Smart maybe agrees with some of that a little bit. There was a moment during Smart's post-game press conference on Saturday, he was talking about something unrelated to the defense, some of the offense, but in doing so, was talking about the offense and how they battle the defense during practice. And Smart said a very short sentence, only a small number of words, but perhaps it reflects the way a lot of us, maybe we feel about what we know about this Georgia defense after just four games of this season. This is from Saturday night. It's a short clip, 
but perhaps it reflects the way that some of us feel about where this Georgia defense is right now. Some of what Danielson's saying maybe doesn't feel totally wrong. This is Kirby Smart backing some of that up. I think we've got a good defense. I don't know if it's great, but we've got good defense. Smart says, I think we've got a good defense. I don't know if it's great, but it is a good defense. And I think right now a lot of Georgia fans would would kind of feel that way, right? That the that the pieces are there for Georgia to be everything that it has been, but those pieces haven't quite come together yet. And the level of like dominance that you want to see from Georgia you know, through a third of the regular season now, we really haven't seen that. Not a reason to panic, not a reason to be scared, but obvious evidence that this year will play out for Georgia different than the last two years have played out in terms of nobody belonging on the same field with Georgia, Georgia essentially uh, essentially annihilating almost everyone that it played. Maybe this year is not uh, is not quite going to be that way. In fact, uh, here a little bit of a longer take from Kirby Smart on the defense. He also kind of expressed some of those same ideas when he talked after the game on Saturday. Once again, Kirby on the performance of his defense. You know, I really thought the offense played to the standard tonight. It'd be hard to argue they didn't. Um, and defense played in spurts. I mean, it was the closest we came to. I don't know what you want to call it. Standard. You know, not not. Uh, domination or not uh what we want but it was much better and and spurts of the standard were there i think kirby what he says there at least on my eyes feels almost 100 percent true that georgia probably did in totality play its overall best game of the year on saturday night i guess but it wasn't dominant and perhaps right now this team is not dominant and we're going to talk more about the rest of the country here in a moment perhaps we also kind of live in a season here in 2023 where really no one right now looks all that dominant but certainly the kind of like overwhelming confidence that I believe that Georgia fans had and rightly so in every game this team played a year ago all 15 of them I think right now you would be wise to perhaps not have that same level of confidence that doesn't mean we've changed our mind about go for three in 23 or any of the end of season predictions we've had for UGA but we are certainly gearing up for it to be a much tougher task for Georgia just based on the way that it's played through four games which is certainly fair and perhaps even expected just given uh, the fact that it's just not easy to win a championship in any season and just because you've won the last two doesn't mean the third was going to get any easier anyway we've said before the year began this would be a very hard thing to accomplish and right now we're reminded of the just the reality of just how true that really is the one thing that Gary Danielson mentioned a moment ago is what further complicates some of the issues if to the extent that Georgia's having defensive issues but some of those issues compounded by the fact that Georgia's right now playing without one of its uh, best and most important players Javon Bullard you heard Danielson mention that a moment ago Kirby Smart also talked about the impact of not having Bullard in the game for Georgia again on Saturday night and what that means for the defensive unit overall once again here's Kirby Smart what's hard I have him out there he's a good player he's a, he's a field general he's a communicator but I don't know we've had to adjust with him not being out there. We can't, we, you can't adjust. Your defense is your defense. You know, you don't like change your defense because your mom's not there. We've had to plug and play. So Dan and, and, and uh, uh, David Daniel have, have both stepped up and played. So uh, you can't cry about it. you got to get, get, get your big boy pants on and go play. I think it's absolutely right, of course. Georgia's not going to cry about any injury, not going to make excuses for anything. They're not Ohio State, for goodness sakes. They're going to go ahead and uh, just – play the hand they've been dealt and try to be the best they can possibly be but at the same time you are seeing some limitations from this unit here right now because of who they don't have or perhaps 
because of the fact this unit is still a little bit of a work in progress. And there's maybe no moment that crystallizes that from Saturday night more so than right before the end of the half. Georgia gave up another one of these kind of like two-minute drive-style touchdowns. Gave up late points last week to South Carolina. Same thing happened to UAB on Saturday, and you better believe Kirby Smart didn't like anything about that and saw lots of problems with the way that Georgia played on that sequence. One more time, here's Kirby. A lot went wrong. I mean, we missed tackles, uh, didn't communicate well, um, bad eye control. Uh, what's sad is that, you know, shooting the defensive staff do an unbelievable job of, of scripted plays uh, before the game. There's about 70 play walkthrough we do. And they hit on almost every one of them, and uh, they out-executed us. I mean, they just at the end of the day, they, 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 they did their job, and we didn't do our job as good. We had two chances, I thought, for sacks, and, and, and we missed them. We didn't finish on the quarterback. He's a big, thick kid, thick lowers. We missed those, and a couple times I think we were just a little too timid. I mean, we, we, didn't, we didn't want to rough the passer, and they want to hit somebody late, and like, get him on the ground, you know, and we missed those opportunities. So you do that, and you sustain drives. I think Monday can be an interesting day because you have a chance to reflect on what you have been saying about a game since Saturday night, and perhaps – your opinion evolves a little bit I think mine has kind of evolved a little bit about not just Georgia's win against UAB but who Georgia is at this point in the season you know I think on Saturday night I was kind of trying to grasp and determine exactly what I thought this Georgia team's identity is the belief that through four games maybe we haven't really fully seen that yet I think that that's perhaps less true now than maybe I realized then that the identity may not be quite what we wanted to be but the reality of it is kind of coming into I guess full focus here that Georgia may still end up being the best team in college football but it is not as dominant as it was certainly through the first month last season it may not be as dominant at any point here this year and that can be okay we're moving into a stretch of the season now where Georgia's not playing for style points or not playing for tune-up or not playing to show how good it can be. It's going to move into a series of games where just kind of winning them is going to be enough. Get the win, check the box, move on. And all of this kind of builds to the end-of-season goals that Georgia still hopes to accomplish. But getting those done this year is going to require a little bit different type of thing than it required in the past. Georgia may still end up being the best. Right now, there's no team out there that's obviously better. But comparing Georgia at this point to itself from the last couple of years probably ends up leaving a little something to be desired here. Kirby Smart, to his credit, has told us this many times before. Every season has an identity of its own, and every team in those seasons has an identity different from its identity in previous years. We're certainly seeing that to be the case with Georgia here right now. It can't count on just going out and totally annihilating and obliterating every team that it plays including at times UAB on Saturday night but that doesn't mean it can't be exactly where it wants to be by the end of the year it just means there's a lot of work to be done to get Georgia to that point work that will continue for the dogs again this week my name's Brandon Adams and this is Dog Nation Daily the daily podcast for Georgia Bulldogs fans presented today by Pella Window and Door of Georgia we are happy to have you with us no matter how you get to us live on video uh, 10 a.m. across all video platforms, 945 at dognation.com, dognation app for what we call our first and 15. Special content for those who join us on our own platform. Of course, radio, app and sports radio, 960 The Ref, podcast, Apple, all the different podcast players, Spotify, everything else. We're just glad to have you a part of the program. And a big thanks to our friends at Pella Window and Door of Georgia. 
for making it all possible there as well. You know, great homeowners want to take great care of their home. It's perhaps the most important financial and emotional investment you have in your entire life. And the best way to take the best care of your home, we believe, is to equip it with energy-efficient windows and doors, the likes of what you find from Pella Window and Door of Georgia. They look better on the outside. They make your home feel better on the inside. And after all these years of hearing me talk about Pella Window and Door of Georgia right here on this show, I believe the next step for you is to have a free consultation with one of those Pella experts to talk about why the Pella line is such a uh, important thing for you. You can discuss installation options, financing options if possible, or if need be, and uh, uh, the, the variety of product line that's available out there to you. Just a great chance to have a no-pressure discussion with one of those Pella experts. You can do it virtually. You can do it in your home. You can go see them at the uh, Experience Center there in Duluth. Lots of ways to have that discussion. In fact, you can even reach out to begin that right now by giving them a call 678-638-1429. That's 678-638-1429. Also visit PellaofGA.com slash dognation. That's PellaofGA.com slash dognation. Take advantage of great savings now too between the end of the month. Uh, that's September 30th. You can get 10% off your entire project or no payments no interest for 12 months just when you reach out be sure you let them know the ba from dog nation daily said they would take really good care of you because i truly know they will because pella window and door of georgia is viewed to be the best we're gonna get john stinchcomb here coming up in just a couple of minutes that's always a lot of fun but prior to that though i do want to go around the dog house and as we kind of said before, we're going to get more to the Georgia offense tomorrow. We did almost all Georgia offensive talk last week to begin the show. Thought it was probably wise to save some of the performance of the Georgia offense, which admittedly was far better on Saturday than it has been. We'll get more into that on tomorrow's show, I think. But one way or another, I'm glad to have like the UT Martin, Ball State, UAB stretch of the schedule. Just glad to have that behind us, right? There's just only so much you can learn from these games against lesser competition. Now, I told you on Friday that I was more interested in the UAB game than the previous games just because of kind of where George had been, the momentum that it supposedly established after having you know come from behind to beat South Carolina. Could it continue that against uh, UAB? To a certain extent, it probably did. There were other things that kind of held over. You know, Georgia is, at this point, a little bit of a work in progress. Gary Danielson called them, what do you say, uh, you know, a, a, a team that's still kind of in a growth phase? Well, you know, we're going to see how that growth continues. And on Saturday afternoon, they're in Auburn, Deep South's oldest rival, old, oldest rivalry. You're going to get a chance to measure Georgia. Now, Auburn's on a great team. They did not play well on the road at Texas A&M. They played worse than I expect them to, to be completely frank here. But it's a much larger step up in the competition. It's on the road. There's a challenge of that. Georgia is still a pretty sizable favorite here. In fact, Mike Griffith wrote this at dognation.com uh, yesterday, citing Circus Sports, the uh, sports book there in Nevada. Uh, right now, Mike letting us know, we'll show this on the screen, that uh, Georgia is a 14-point favorite to open things up uh, there at Circus Sports. 14-point favorite over Auburn there on Saturday. Uh, according to a Circus Sports, Mike Griffith writing that for you there at dognation.com. So Georgia's still in kind of a pretty advantageous position having to go on the road, knowing it does so with a little bit of a cushion, at least on the basis of perception there against Auburn. But Kirby Smart, who had the Oklahoma game cancel on him and has you know, kind of had three sort of less than stellar opponents wrapped around an SEC game against South Carolina, as Kirby told it on Saturday, 
this isn't exactly the ramp up he would have wanted before having to go into a truly different kind of situation the hostile environment there at auburn uh this is what kirby smart said about that challenge uh on saturday night already looking ahead to the big showdown against a hated rival like the tigers kirby on saturday discussed it I would not want to draw it up that way. Uh, I really believe in going to play at a neutral site or getting a road game, but it's not a lot of control I have over that either. So uh, it'll be uh, one hell of an environment. They do an incredible job with their uh, fan base. I mean, it's one of the, the places I think I've probably coached there more than any other location outside of here in, in, in Tuscaloosa. Because so, I always go there here and I always went there there. So it's just uh, it's an incredible environment. Their, their fan base is is, is second to none and, and they're believing and then they got a new coach and they got a new energy and they're doing a really good job so uh, it, it, it'll be tough and we have to prepare uh, that way and I hope our, our players acknowledge that. What we had said was if Auburn were, was able to beat Texas A&M it would have created a massive atmosphere there at Jordan Hare Stadium as it turns out Auburn's got some real offensive struggles A&M's not very good offensively either but my gosh Auburn made them look like the 99 Rams at times on Saturday just because you know Peyton Thorne is just not it from a quarterback standpoint a lot of these SEC teams were hoping there'd be a better crop of transfer quarterbacks in the transfer portal and there just weren't there just weren't Peyton Thorne at Auburn Graham Mertz at Florida we may kind of laugh at guys like that but the truth is that was just the best transfer quarterbacks that were available good quarterbacks like Sam Hartman either didn't want to come to the SEC apparently or in the case of like Drake May Drake May or Van Dyke at Miami or Michael Pratt at Tulane they just don't want to transfer at all that's you know the the pretty obvious takeaway that the SEC even with potentially some NIL dollars to spend could not get those quarterbacks to want to transfer and so therefore Auburn's just really limited and even against a team like Texas A&M which is pretty limited in its own right uh, just not able to just not able to muster any kind of offense whatsoever almost had a little bit of a chance last week late to kind of get involved in it on Saturday back in the football game but just couldn't move the football well enough to do it but Auburn's a little salty on defense and you know it's really going to be a physical game next Saturday we'll hear plenty more about the coaching relationship between Kirby and Hugh Freeze you know Freeze beat Kirby in 2016 going back to the first year when Kirby's on the job here had a couple of big wins as Ole Miss head coach when Kirby was still Alabama defensive coordinator but it certainly sounds like Kirby Smart's gearing up for a big game on the road it'll be the first time many of these players have faced this environment as kind of starter level players and you better believe uh, that for Georgia the whole feeling about it's going to be different we're about to find out truly how good Georgia is perhaps not as dominant it was as a year ago but a chance to build and grow and gain some momentum and be where it needs to be by the time the year is done Auburn on the road the next step in all of that on Saturday and that is around the doghouse here on dog nation daily today and before we get John Stinchcomb here coming up in a moment can I give a quick shout out to my friends at Dr. Pepper here because obviously we're watching a lot of college football here this weekend and Dr. Pepper fansville you see those commercials all the time and you're reminded how much the folks at Dr. Pepper love college football and how much those of us who love college football also love Dr. Pepper so when you're getting stocked up and ready to go for the next football weekend stop by your local Kroger pick up some Dr. Pepper some Dr. Pepper zero sugar the brand new Dr. Dr. Pepper strawberries and cream enjoy all of that the delicious uh, rich flavor of a -a one-of-a-kind Dr. Pepper because it's the one fans deserve all right so we're gonna get John Stinchcomb here coming up in a moment Kirby Smart on his 100th game we're going to talk about uh, the Georgia win against UAB, what we learned from that, how ready Georgia is to go on the road here at Auburn, a lot of ground to cover with John Stinchcomb. And also, before the show is done today, a topic that we don't love, but you got to do, Georgia had a pretty 
you know, significant decommitment on Sunday afternoon, Sunday evening, four-star wide receiver Nykar. Exactly what does this mean for UGA? We'll cover all of that here before we're done. And a lot of reaction to some pretty big outcomes on Saturday and some kind of wild scenarios that played out within those games. I'm talking about Dan Lanning and Ryan Day and Lane Kiffin. So much stuff to cover before we're done. So we're jam-packed here on a Monday. But to keep it going right now, always great to get his perspective on a Monday. It's a Marlowe's Tavern Insider Update with the former Georgia All-American, John Stinchcomb, here on Dog Nation Daily today. From Athens and across the SEC or wherever the recruiting trail may lead, here's a DogNation.com Insider. We will say hello to John Stinchcomb here. It's a Marlowe's Tavern Insider Update with John today. And, John, we just heard Kirby Smart saying, hey, if you drew it up, you wouldn't necessarily want a road trip to Auburn to be the first time you played outside Sanford Stadium in a in a given year. That's how it does work out for Georgia this year after, the obviously, the Oklahoma game was forcibly canceled on the uh, dogs by the SEC. But nonetheless, uh, that's kind of where Georgia is right now. Road trip coming up. Auburn's not a great team. They clearly can't move the football, especially away from home. Uh, the Cal game, the Texas A&M game, kind of proof of that. But it's still probably uh, a more formidable test, given the venue, given everything else, uh, than anything Georgia's perhaps faced thus far this season. Do you think Georgia is ready to go on the road next Saturday? Absolutely, and it's a Jordan Hare is a difficult environment. But what makes it a difficult environment is when the crowd gets involved, and you know they're passionate about their team, and they just don't have the team to match the environment this year. So, you know, I, I'm sure this isn't exactly how Kirby would draw it up, and and he has certainly been uh, in that stadium where it was volatile, but. I don't really expect that to, to be the case. I mean, it's, it, we've played in other games. South Carolina is a diff- difficult environment, at least in the first couple quarters. And, and as you create that separation and distance uh, on the scoreboard, it, it calms the crowd down significantly. So that's kind of the expectation going into Saturday is you can control the environment just by what you do on the field. So, you know, Auburn does not have the team that matches the, uh, the the stadium volatility or what it could be. I remember, obviously, the 2002 game. That's the great game that you played in and won. Your speech at halftime has been credited as kind of a special moment there. And I also remember that game. I was there. You know, Georgia got down. You guys got down pretty big pretty early, right? A couple touchdowns. And as a player playing in a game like that, already kind of a hostile environment – but when the home team gets off to a fast start, how much worse does that make it? I also remember being there in 2019 when it's actually Georgia that gets off to the big lead. Auburn came from behind late to try to make it close, and the crowd finally really got into the game. But you can kind of quiet this crowd down, or you can at least uh, diminish their impact if you get off to the fast start. But if you're not careful and you have happened what happened to y'all there in 2002 where they get off to the fast start, it gets even worse really quick, doesn't it? Yeah, it gets hostile, and then you see the pre-snap penalties, and it's harder to communicate. You've just made life harder on yourselves. I mean, the, the, the game gets a little bit tougher, and you think, well, it's still football. Sure it is, but when I can't hear the quarterback, and I, I, I'm a tackle or a tight end, and it's harder to relay information there for checks and uh, any kind of adjustments, then that's a factor for the game. So, 
it does matter when you're on the road and you get a, you get an opportunity early to kind of eliminate one of the factors that can contribute against you later in the game. Uh, it's to your advantage to do so. Now, it, it's not something you can't overcome. We certainly did in 2002. But uh, if, if you can create an easier path to victory, you, you definitely want to take advantage of it. And playing in one of those environments like Auburn has to offer you're much better served if you can start fast and, and create a little separation. Uh, one more thing on this game, then we'll move on, talk about the game that Georgia just played. I'm not sure how much of Auburn you've been able to see. I've seen enough, you know, following the game against Texas A&M Saturday, what they did against Cal. Those are the two games I've probably seen the most of Auburn. I've seen enough to say this, is that Hugh Freeze obviously looks like a coach who's coached in the SEC before because it seems like he's used the transfer portal pretty well. They're not terrible along either line of scrimmage. They're pretty good defensively. They run the ball at times okay. Had a hard time getting that going on Saturday, uh, but they run the ball okay for the most part. They're just really, really limited at quarterback, and that's why you know they lost Texas A&M on Saturday. Uh, but overall, I mean, you know, while while Auburn doesn't score enough points for me to believe that that they could beat Georgia, I I, I don't. I think that Georgia could play a bad game on Saturday and still win. I do think that they're at least salty enough to be somewhat dangerous and maybe keep it closer, uh, at least potentially a little longer than some Georgia fans might like, because, you know, this is not a team absent of, you know, some capabilities. Like I said, line of scrimmage, a little bit of defense, a little bit of running the football. They do some of that stuff okay. It's fairly obvious that Freeze has coached in this league before. Have you seen enough about Auburn to make much of an evaluation at all? Yes, and, and I think this comes at a good time for Georgia. As you build in the season, we've had four games with lesser opponents that have shown various looks and everything that you want, but now you're going to step things up at least in atmosphere. And it's a, a, another conference game. I know we had one against South Carolina, but this one's on the road. And it is an opponent that um, – has some bodies specifically on defense they've got a couple playmakers on that side of the ball i I got to see a decent amount of that texas a&m game and you know there there are going to be challenges georgia is the far superior team let's not get that twisted Uh, it's it's not it should not be close by the end of the game but this opponent is better than than some that we've seen specifically on defense. So it's going to be a good challenge as you work your way into the meteor side or a section of, of this schedule. Um, so as you ramp up, this is the next step. You, you go on the road to a rival um, that you should beat, but it's not going to be a cakewalk and you still have to play decent football. You don't have to play your A game, but you're going to have to do more than just roll your helmets out on the field. Uh, moving uh, back to last Saturday night, the UA, uh, this past weekend, the UAB game, John, the thing that I feel like I learned from that is, and I don't mean this in a critical way, I just think it's just kind of where things are right now, is that Georgia is not dominant the way that it was a year ago. I think that's my clearest takeaway from the game. We've seen now a third of the regular season, and Georgia really hasn't just sort of throttled anybody yet through a couple of weeks uh, a year ago. We'd seen them you know, beat Oregon so bad that you wonder if Oregon would even want to play anymore. South Carolina kind of the same way. 
that level of performance just hasn't been on display from Georgia yet this season, even though it's played for the most part kind of a lesser you know degree of competition, which leads you to believe that Georgia's path, if it does win a national championship this year, I think it certainly still can. It's just going to be far different than it's been a year ago. Uh, and I think that Georgia fans ought to be prepared for kind of a wild ride where perhaps anything could happen, but the best result possible is still very much out there, you know, potentially on the horizon. What do you feel like you learned from Georgia in the game on Saturday against UAB? Yeah, it's, it's a recalibration, right? I find myself uh, for the past few weeks, and especially on Saturday, reminding me, reminding myself to enjoy the game. Yeah. That, uh, because of Georgia's dominance, specifically last year, we have created this new standard that there is such separation between Georgia and literally everyone else that if we're not up by three touchdowns by the end of the first quarter, we're going, what's happening here? What's wrong with Georgia? And that's not realistic. If you look at the personnel groupings, specifically on offense, but really across the board with the exception of probably a healthy secondary, you know, offensive line, tight ends, quarterback, running backs. Uh, without a Lad McConkey, you could probably throw in wide receivers, Sands, A.D. Mitchell, and Kiaris Jackson. Uh, there's not a position group where you go, we are on equal footing or superior footing than what we had last year. So I think the realization that there's probably not that dominant factor. There's We don't have the X factors. Um that we had last year, A, and B, we certainly haven't been healthy. I mean, even if we did have our A players, our our very best this year, um, it would still be a a work in progress. Now, granted, a a probably much further along product than what we've seen these past few weeks. So health is a factor, but we just were not at that same point of, of development as that 2022 Georgia football team is so if that's the expectation and that's what I see in in some of the comments that that you read about Bobo and Beck and this offense and everything else the comparison is to last year we're not playing a video game this isn't like you get to pick the 86 Bears and the 72 Dolphins and the 22 Bulldogs or, or Ohio State that's not the way this game is played now for this season the luxury that I'm grateful for is there's no silverback out there just waiting to clobber teams that Georgia's going to have to face at some point, hopefully. There's not. Georgia still, in my opinion, is the front runner, and rightfully so. They just don't have that separation that Georgia and, and in my opinion, Ohio State had with the rest of the pack in 22. They were the two by far best teams um, in the country. And I understand that Ohio State lost to Michigan, but they were, they were, in my opinion, year for the overall body of work, they were the better team and had, had created that separation. They just didn't play good football on that particular Saturday. So that's not where Georgia is this year, and, and I think that's okay. They have, still have to get better. You've got a, a number of players that are still developing. You hear that in what Kirby, uh, as ha- how he evaluates his own team. It's a work in progress, and they got to get healthy. they got to get guys back. It makes a difference 
if you don't have a Javon Bullard, Dan Jackson's a good player. Javon Bullard is a real difference maker no matter what team he's on. Same thing for Amarius Mims and Lad McConkey and the other guys that are, are the factors that move a really good team to that great level. Um, and, and you have to build that consistency. So long answer, B.A., but uh, what, what I learned from Saturday is that Georgia is capable um, and it does make a difference. If you don't have a Michael Williams on that defensive line, if you don't have Javon Bullard on that back end, and for the first time you see a, a team, even though it's UAB, able to execute on a two-minute offense situation where usually Georgia just snuffs out uh, an offense before they even are able to get it down the field. So I, I think we see that Georgia is a little more mortal than uh, than what we've grown accustomed to, and that's you're going to have to be okay with that throughout the season. So let me offer this as a response to that. Some people would hear us having this conversation, and they might be led to conclude, you know, could conclude that oh, well, these Georgia fans they have unrealistic expectations, but. I want to offer a defense in this respect that this is the 10th year of the college football playoff. And if you look at the last half of the decade, we've had this college football playoff in our life. You know, I think a lot of us have been led to believe that this is how you win a national championship by being just totally dominant in all phases across the board. And you are, you know, leaps and bounds better than anybody in every other phase. That's what we've been kind of led to believe that championship teams are. That's mostly what Georgia's been the last two years. That's what an LSU would have been in 2019. That's kind of what an Alabama would have been in 2020. That there's just this this level of dominance that the champion has where it's in all phases exceedingly better than everybody in all regards. But in the first half of the college football playoff era, the first five years of this sort of decade that's been in our life, that's not necessarily been the case. You know, the 2014 Ohio State team lost to Virginia Tech. The 2015 Bama team lost to Ole Miss. You know, Clemson, one of those years, lost to Pitt. I mean, you know, there, you know, 2017 Alabama wasn't necessarily just sort of throttling everybody. Uh, you know, that that there was an era, even in this sort of like college football playoff world, in which you know champions were not necessarily leaps and bounds better than the second best team that's out there and so if that's what 2023 becomes it's not like we don't have some track record of not all that long ago when that was also true so you know fans may seem like they have unrealistic expectations because they expect georgia just to throttle everybody but that's been kind of born out of that's mostly what national champions have done these last four or five years but that hasn't always been the case and maybe this year is going to be a little bit of a return back to previous years in which hey someone's going to win the national championship but no one whoever it is is necessarily going to make it look easy along the way towards doing that i think that's a great assessment and spot on the only problem is as fans and really across the board if folks that are connected we have such short memories and what we see is dominance in the past few years we have it's been reflected in the national champions and at least those competing at national champions the, the, the separation that i'll throw nil and transfer portal that that's been able to create um, has become quote unquote the new norm. Well, that what we're seeing this year is a throwback to uh, an era gone by. That you know the the mid teens where it was competitive, and there was a number of teams that were grinding it out and showed that 
they weren't invincible to, to having a slip up. Well, I think we're back into that space. And so, you know, as much criticism as this offense, Georgia's offense has taken this year, what Carson has done is, is not turned the ball over. We saw, you know, a couple turnovers on Saturday in special teams, but what happened in Missouri last year for a, a team in Georgia that was far superior is you become much more vulnerable when you, you get in a game that you should dominate. You, you turn the ball over and you don't play your best. Well, I think that, that type situation, um, is much more hazardous for a Georgia or anyone else in that top 10. Look across the nation. Uh, Washington's playing good football. Florida State certainly had their scare uh, this past weekend, along with Notre Dame and Ohio State. Uh, there's not a team out there that sh- has shown uh, to, to have every duck in a row, and they are far superior. So it is a throwback, and it, it is going to be make for more exciting football, but also there's going to be a Saturday that pops up, uh, hopefully not for Georgia, but a, a superior team, at least on paper and performance in the past weeks, is going to have that slip up against a lesser opponent where people are kind of scratching their heads saying, I didn't expect that. I want to ask you one more question here. Let me remind folks, though, before that, it's our Marlowe's Tavern Insider Update. We have John Stinchcomb. He's our Dog Nation Insider. But did you know that you can become a Marlowe's Tavern Insider by becoming a member of the Insider Club there at Marlowe'sTavern.com? Now, here's how it works. You just go, you sign up, it's free to join, and then you get this huge incentive just for signing up. How about $10 off a $30 order there at Marlowe's Tavern just for becoming a member of the Insider's Club? Then after that, you're seeking to get what are called qualified visits. When you dine at Marlowe's, enjoy $15 worth of either food or beverage, that becomes a qualified visit for you. Then once you get four qualified visits, you receive a complimentary entree reward uh, worth up to $20 on your next visit. You can also get like free entree for your birthday, things like that. So there's some incredible great incentives for doing this. And as I said before, it's free to join. So go to Marlowe'sTavern.com to become a member of the Marlowe's Tavern Insider Club today. That's Marlowe'sTavern.com. All right, John, so before you joined us, we talked about the fact that Kirby Smart coaches 100th game on Saturday, 85-15, and 15, gives him the best record through 100 games of any coach in SEC history. Smart doesn't like talking about that kind of stuff, so we're going to talk about it on his behalf here. And I told the story about how, you know, when Smart first got the job way back when he, like, a couple weeks after he was hired, Gary Danielson comes you know, on the media and says he thinks the Kirby Smart's going to win a national championship. And to the ears of Georgia fans, that was such an optimistic appraisal. This fan base was so much craving that kind of success that it became, on our show anyway, this really big deal. You know, we had tons of people kind of flocking to the show because they wanted to hear the idea that somebody thought that Georgia under Kirby Smart could win a national championship. Well, here we are 100 games later, and he's actually won two, and uh, it seemed like they're far from done in all that regard. I don't think you can overstate how remarkable these last few years have been, how remarkable these 100 games are. Smart may not want to talk about it publicly, but I hope he appreciates it privately. I assume that he probably does. And for the rest of us who are fans of this team, I certainly hope we are appreciative of it because it has been an amazing ride. And we think we're still in the midst of seeing some pretty amazing things happening here for Georgia. But even if the world ended today, we never saw another football game. What we have seen has truly been special, has it not? It has been remarkable and something that I think really you don't have to be a Georgia fan to appreciate 
what Kirby has done for the program. I mean, when he came in, the cupboards weren't bare. Coach Rick left the, the program, had built it into a position where 10 wins was the floor. The expectation is we need to bring someone in that can move us into that next tier. And Kirby has done far more than just that. And it's in a time where the landscape of college football has changed so much from when he first took uh, the position that it's, it's remarkable the amount of success that he's had, the ability to recruit at a very high level. I remember when he first got that top three recruiting class and Georgia fans were ecstatic of, of just, wow, we, you know, we're finally getting national level players. And Georgia's always recruited well, but you see that Kirby was able to bump that up to that next tier. And we thought, man, this, this, could, this group could be really special. And what's been remarkable is his ability to do that on an annual basis. And that wasn't a one-time freak occurrence. It becomes this is what you expect every December and February is that by the end of the recruiting uh, circuit that Georgia's going to have one of the top classes. That in combination with the development of players, the fact that not only do we get really good players in, but they continue to get better and buy into the program uh, in a time when if you don't have that early success, you're not on the field. There's a lot of guys that hit that eject button or going to other places. And I think that has certainly factored in. I'm, I'm kind of talking around the fact, and these are foundational pieces as to why Coach Smart has had so much success in those first hundred games is his ability to not, and you hear him talk about it, not talk about the result, but the process. Mm -hmm. And that's where his focus has been throughout everything, throughout the recruitment of players, the development, the game plans, you go into the week, the way they practice. It's we're going to focus on how and us more than what the outcome is. And the outcome has been exceptional. And it, it has been and will continue to be recognized as uh, arguably the best performance by a college coach, especially in his first hundred games. But he is the best coach in college football right now and is building his own legacy that we get to be a part of and, and witness. Uh, you know, if, if we've talked about in past of, when you're in the good old days, can you appreciate it and not just look back and say, man, those were the good old days? Yeah. That's where we are as Georgia fans. These are the good days that Coach Smart has brought to us and continues to provide for us. And uh, there's times where we just need to enjoy them more and not critique every small uh, hiccup that comes along the way because it, he's, he's done a, an exceptional job of elevating our program to be the uh, the star which every other organization is is shooting for. I think that's exactly right, John. Great stuff. Thank you for being here as part of our Marlowe's Tavern Insider Update today. Appreciate your time. Always love your perspective on Georgia football. And let's get ready to go out and beat Auburn on Saturday and then talk about that again here next Monday as a part of a Marlowe's Tavern Insider Update all over again. As a dog, we always love beating Auburn. So I look forward to this Saturday and being able to uh, claim victory once again against those nasty Tigers over in Alabama. So 
Go dogs. Appreciate you, BA. Yes, sir, John. Thanks a lot. Let's take a look around the rest of the league. This is SEC Through. Yeah, fun one coming up. Deep South's oldest rivalry. You never get tired of it. Georgia's had a lot of run of dominance in that series, and that's another one of those things you don't want to take for granted. A lot of that success actually even predated Kirby Smart, which is kind of cool, too. But a remarkable run through 100 games and fun to see where it goes next. We still believe very much that Georgia can obviously win the national championship here this year. But the way we've been talking about things of, ah, listen, you know, nobody comes close to being as good as Georgia. You know, Georgia throttles everybody. You know, for a little while here, we may actually show a dash of humility, which will be kind of a, I guess, a, a, a weird thing for us, maybe. But we're going to, you know, we're, we're going to see how it plays out. We'll see how it goes. Uh, obviously, it can still finish great. Perhaps it will. But, uh, and Georgia took some steps in that direction on Saturday. But uh, there are some challenges ahead, for sure. And Georgia's in the midst of trying to figure out exactly how it uh, fits into this picture of a pretty wild 2023 season here thus far. In fact, we're going to talk more about that here as we go cruising around the SEC, courtesy of Royal Caribbean. And, of course, amazing things going down with Royal Caribbean in 2024. Right there on your screen, if you're watching on video, you see Icon of the Seas debuting January of next year boy what a fun thing that's going to be largest cruise ship ever constructed kind of redefining what the cruise vacation experience is all about that's what royal caribbean's famous for and that's not the only brand new thing royal caribbean's got coming for you in 2024 how about utopia of the seas there as well three and four night sailings leaving out of port canaveral uh which is kind of the most convenient port uh for us those of us who live here in the atlanta area just right past orlando you're there in port canaveral you're having a great time and you're enjoying all of that maybe perhaps the week-long seven-night cruise a lot to get away for those three and those four night sailings perhaps much more convenient on that and in july of next year you had a brand new oasis class ship to be able to take that on all kinds of really fun things going down with uh royal caribbean uh really fun new improvements coming to perfect day coco k there as well that experience has been amplified here and we're going to tell you more about that and our great friend jessica slater can tell you about it personally too you can give her a call 770-718-9147 that's 770-718-9147 or jay slater at dreamvacations.com that's her email jay slater at dreamvacations.com plan a great royal caribbean cruise vacation jessica slater is a wonderful travel agent specially selected for us by royal caribbean to make that experience even better for you so make sure you check her out today all right let's go cruise around the sec courtesy of royal caribbean so one of the biggest games i thought on saturday was florida state's win at clemson clemson to its credit played very well here in this game but at least for the most part they did uh, probably some weird decisions uh, offensively get really into their chance to win it but for the most part they showed themselves to be, still be you know pretty formidable foe still be a pretty formidable challenger but florida state goes into death valley breaks a seven game losing streak to the hands of clemson wins there on the road so now you got a situation where florida state thus far has road win at clemson neutral site win against lsu i think there are only two teams in the country that i think have a reasonable argument to be the number one team i think that georgia is rightfully the number one team because of what it's done the last two years in our minds we're human beings the recent past obviously matters to us we can't pretend that it doesn't and i haven't seen anything from georgia yet this year albeit not we've said on the show today it's not a totally completely dominant team injuries at running back you know perhaps some vulnerabilities on defense perhaps we're not quite ready to say that for sure but perhaps some vulnerabilities on defense make this a slightly less dominant team that's been in the past yeah we haven't seen the kind of fatal flaw from george that would say well they can't be number one because of dot 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 we haven't quite seen that yet we've just seen some some vulnerabilities that we 
maybe not quite so used to seeing from Georgia. But to me, there is still a strong argument of making Georgia the number one team. They would be my number one overall team. If I was going to listen to any other team right now make a case to be number one, the only other team I would be willing to consider is Florida State on the basis of resume. Neutral site win against LSU, that looks pretty good. Uh, road win at Clemson, Clemson's lost twice, but that still looks pretty good. I could listen to an argument for Florida State as the country's number one team right now. Not to finish there, that's not my prediction. In fact, I would still be somewhat suspicious of Florida State's chances of making the college football playoff. But ranking them number one right now, if you want to use resume as your guide on that, I could listen to that discussion. I, 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 I certainly could. So we will see where the Seminoles go from here. Now, other big games in the weekend, I want to talk about Alabama Ole Miss here for a moment. And, you know, look, we don't like toot our own horn here, but we got this game completely, totally, 100% right. I think a lot of you probably did there as well. You just sort of look at this and sort of see the way that we're going. That Alabama is not going to get voted off the island completely for the season on the basis of a loss to this Ole Miss team in its own stadium. Not like that. That's just it's just not going to go down like that. We told you that on Saturday or leading into Saturday. As it turns out, we're a hundred percent right. And I think a lot of you kind of saw this coming there as well. This Ole Miss team is just not good enough to even even though Alabama is limited, even though it doesn't have the kind of quarterback play they're used to. This Ole Miss team is just not good enough to do it. We kind of said that Lane Kiffin was talking a lot before the game, sort of sounded like the kind of coach that sang stuff before the game because he doesn't think he's going to be able to say it after the game. And Kiffin, who sort of always needs to have some level of attention, it seems like he was trying to get his attention pregame because he knew there'd be no attention to be, to be given postgame. But to hear Lane Kiffin tell it, all of that stuff last week was because apparently he really did think Alabama was vulnerable and he really did think it was going to be his year, which does give you a little bit of an idea about how possibly misguided Kiffin is that he just sort of lives in the dream world where he's the kind of top flight coach that can win games like this. Apparently, that's what Kiffin thought about himself. This is what he said after the game on Saturday in in that regard. This was really discouraging to come in here really thought this was our shot to, to beat these guys um just thought there were some things there we could do and we didn't get them done today so we'll worry about next week and i guess later today I, I didn't like playing them after they played poor he's the best in the world at that um you know you would think that he would act one way when they don't play i'm sure he would say he said they didn't play well last week you know, down in South Florida, and he does a great job of getting them back and and using what everybody says. You know, all you guys saying the dynasty's over and they ain't any good anymore, and he uses that all week, and the guys come out um, playing really well, especially using on defense, and they did that today. Lane Kevin is an unserious person, and I don't mean that from the standpoint he likes to joke around. I mean unserious as in he's not someone I think you ought to take seriously. You know, he says, all oh, you guys were talking about the Alabama dynasty being toppled. It was Kiffin himself last week on Twitter who was doing like the Taylor Swift lyric and the castle falling down or whatever thing like that. It was he himself, whether it was in a joking manner or not, that was talking about the Alabama dynasty coming down. He was essentially predicting he was going to be the one to knock it down fully and completely. That's what his social media behavior was largely considered to be. That's not the media doing that. That was Lane Kiffin. 
the fact of the matter is is that Kiffin knew when he said it it wasn't a serious thing I, I believe and that's why he's able to pivot now and say oh listen this is when Alabama's at its most dangerous essentially sounding like the same nonsense that Kirk Kerbstreet was trying to throw out to us at the beginning of the year I don't believe Saturday's win for Alabama over Ole Miss is a statement about the Crimson Tide whatsoever it's just a referendum on Ole Miss that Lane Kiffin gets the kind of attention typically reserved for good coaches but there is zero evidence that Kiffin is a good coach really at all he is in the club you know he is sort of in the system right you know nepo baby to the ultimate degree someone who has used his last name to get job after job after job raiders head coach tennessee head coach usc head coach uh, alabama offensive coordinator now he's old miss head coach the one thing that kiffin knows how to do is sort of stay in the good old boy network and go from job to job to job no one's better at getting hired than lane kiffin is but in terms of professional accomplishments you couldn't fit his professional accomplishments in your pocket i mean uh you, there's just nothing there there's nothing of substance there you know whatsoever so the idea there was anything from kiffin's track record his previous history as a head coach to suggest he's going to win a game like this uh absolutely zilch nada a lot of folks cashed tickets here this weekend because they know kiffin is beneath the standard of the kind of coach that's required to win games like this and he's not building the kind of program at old miss that's capable of winning games like this either so some people are going to try to turn this into uh some sort of statement about oh, alabama's back they're rallying around jalen milrow these same people try to do that over and over and over again bama still got its problems let's not get it twisted but it doesn't take much to beat lane kiffin and old miss and alabama had just enough of that there on saturday how about oregon and colorado for a moment here and how about dan lanning we told you this there as well you know listen as i said before we get plenty wrong and obviously some of y'all are kind enough to remind us when we do uh we're pretty good on our picks last week though we were uh five and one documented documented 16 and eight uh against the spread here thus far this year three and one on our best bets there as well so we pretty well told you exactly how this was going to play out in fact if i you know wanted to you know put too fine of a point on this i might even go back and uh, play the audio for you of what we said that if dan lanning had the chance to add the extra score against colorado that's exactly what he would do media loves Deion sanders because he's genuinely entertaining fans are obviously enthralled by this there as well you get the impression there are millions of people paying attention to Deion right now that perhaps have not paid very much attention to college football prior to this Deion is just a cult of personality but the media has treated him as if he solved college football, as if he's figured out a way to make this sport easy when we all know that college football is very, very hard. And college coaches who've devoted their life to this, who are lifers in this industry, uh, they find that disrespectful. They don't want to make uh, they don't want to allow Dion to make their sport seem easy. So when they have a chance to show him exactly how hard this sport really is, you better believe they're going to do that, including Dan Lanning, who called his shot to that effect prior to the game on Saturday. This is what Dan Lanning said. Rooted in substance, not flash. Rooted in substance. Today, we talk with our pads. You talk with your helmet, right? Every moment. The Cinderella story is over, man, right? They're fighting for clicks. We're fighting for wins. There's a difference, right? There's a difference, right? This game ain't going to be played in Hollywood. It's going to be played on the grass, right? It's going to be played on the grass. Let's go. That's landing before the game. They they were up thirty five nothing the half. Uh, ended up winning what forty two to six. I guess the final score was and basically kind of doubled down on all that at halftime. 
fairly obvious that Lanning does not like the shtick around Deion Sanders here right now. Now, Deion's using what he has to his advantage. His personality is obviously the kind of thing that draws a lot of attention on him. That's clearly to his advantage to use that as a coach. But other coaches are going to use their stuff there as well. And right now, Lanning's got the far better roster. And so getting a chance to kind of embarrass Dion kind of took that opportunity. Coaches don't like Dion. Jay Norvell didn't like him. It was kind of a weird level of behavior from Colorado State prior to that game. Obviously, Dan Lanning doesn't either. I don't know that every coach that plays Dion the rest of the season is going to be able to blow him out and run up the score, but those who can will. I think it's just fairly obvious that a lot of folks within the coaching fraternity don't like some of the antics from Dion Sanders here right now. I'm mostly entertained by Dion. I think he's a lot of fun. I think Shador Sanders is the real revelation on that Colorado a program here right now he's had an amazing year but we told you going into the game they can't protect they can't, they can't protect Shador Sanders coming into Saturday they were 130th in the country in terms of sacks allowed and butt naked last in terms of sack yardage yielded uh, thus far this season they just simply can't protect Shador they're terrible on both lines of scrimmage and a team like Oregon's going to feast on that Lanning was you know gleefully happy to be able to do that uh in Saturday's game then you get to Saturday night the win for Ohio State against Notre Dame so the whole thing is just bizarre right neither offense did very much both defenses played pretty well ultimately Ohio State punches in a game-winning touchdown we find out that Notre Dame only had 10 players in the field in fact I think they only had 10 players in the field for the final two plays of that game which is kind of a weird thing for Marcus Freeman to try to explain thus far as explanations have been somewhat insufficient but when the game was over with we found out that for ryan day this win we had a lot of coaches making it personal this year for a lot of reasons and uh after the game on saturday night on nbc ryan day revealed that he apparently had extra motivation based on something that the former notre dame coach lou holtz had said here is a completely out of his mind ryan day on nbc after the ohio state win against notre dame on saturday night like i'd like to know where lou holtz is right now what he said about our team, what he said about our team, I cannot believe. This is a tough team right here. We're proud to be from Ohio, and it's always been Ohio against the world. And it'll continue to be Ohio against the world. But I'll tell you what, I love those kids, and we got a tough team. So here's my advice to Ryan Day. If you're going to try to have the we're the tough team moment, my advice would be try not to go into falsetto. We got a tough team. Try not to go into like the falsetto as you're doing that. If you're trying to cut the wrestling style promo, you got to get down into your lower register. You got to get a little bass in your voice. You know, you got to have a let, uh, you know, got to try to drop an octave down there a little bit. I want you to, can we play the Ryan Day clip again here? Uh, try not to get up into like the sort of Mickey Mouse, you know, like, a falsetto voice here i i think that kind of steps on the point you're trying to make let's hear beard die here one more time uh trying to you know get a little bass in his voice here but probably not succeeding as he cuts the promo on lou holtz like i'd like to know where lou holtz is right now what he said about our team what he said about our team i cannot believe this is a tough team right here we're proud to be from ohio and it's always been ohio against the world and it'll continue to be ohio against the world but i'll tell you what i love those kids and we got a tough team it'll continue to be ohio against the world like i just don't think that points making the thing that you wanted to make when you're kind of going to like sort of like the voice cracking mode there on that i think this is embarrassing for uh, ryan day i really do first of all holtz is 90 i mean how old is lou holtz uh darn near 90 years old the play that the uh, there you go side by side fight club ryan day 44 lou holtz is 86 um the the play that ryan day is bragging about how tough his team was 
congratulations for punching it in the end zone. You barely did, by the way, but punching it into the end zone on a play in which Notre Dame only had 10 players in the field. Yeah, congratulations on your 11 proving to be tougher than Notre Dame's 10. And by the way, the next big game Notre Dame wins will be the first. You know, the idea that you showed how tough you were in this particular game. Uh, I mean, you ought to be embarrassed by going on TV and making the case that you're making. And to make matters worse, we wanted to go find what it was that Lou Holtz had said that was so bad that Ryan Day wants to be that, you know, performatively angry on television. What we discovered was is that Lou Holtz was uh, on the Pat McAfee show. Now, I guess the McAfee show begins with like a little bit of a mock of the Lou Holtz voice. And so there's a relationship between McAfee and Holtz, I guess, because of that. Lou likes the good-natured uh, ribbing. Lou's always been kind of a fun personality on television. So Holtz, and I assume the show is live in South Bend on Friday, goes on the McAfee show. And you're going to hear here, he's obviously just joking. Ryan Day's either never experienced a joke or has no friends and so therefore doesn't know how friends perhaps speak to each other. But it's obvious the thing that Ryan Day was so angry about, Lou Holtz was clearly joking about. Let me let you hear from Friday the thing that apparently made Ryan Day so angry. Notre Dame is a better football team than Ohio State. Love hearing that. Please, coach. And, and let me tell you why. We have the best offensive line in the country. Sam Hartman won't even get his dirty, dirty all year. He has time to throw the football. The offensive line, we have great running back. Esteem is averaging about 10 yards a carry. We have great receivers. So offensively, we're set. Defensively, our defensive line's better. And you look at Coach Day, and I coached at Ohio State under Woody Hayes. We won the national championship when I was there. Right. So I'm proud of that. However, he has lost to Alabama, Georgia, twice. Clemson, twice. Michigan twice. And everybody that beats him does so because they're more physical than Ohio State. And I think Notre Dame will take that same approach. The guy that he's on the set with is the guy that makes fun of Lou Holtz's voice. It's a back-and-forth thing between the two. It's obvious that Lou Holtz is joking. It's the Pat McAfee show, for goodness sakes. The guy wears a sleeveless shirt and you know screams into a microphone and has a, uh, all kinds of props and things like that. It's obvious that Holtz is joking, and this is the thing that Ryan Day wanted to make a big deal about after the game. It's fake anger from a fake tough guy, and there are a lot of Georgia fans that want to play Ohio State again because of all the whining and complaining that Ohio State's done since Georgia's peach bowl win last year now it remains to be seen how good georgia will be by the end of the year whether georgia will be in that position or not but here's what i can tell you i can guarantee that ohio state won't be because what we saw from the buckeyes again on saturday night is is they may have been good enough to kind of push around notre dame when notre dame only had 10 players in the field you think michigan saw that on saturday you think they think that michigan doesn't want a chance to go out and do that again because all of that stuff that kind of performative outrage on the part of day that's all about trying to say to his fans they are now tough enough to go and beat Michigan, something they haven't done in either of the last two years. I'm not buying that. And if you're a Georgia fan that wants to beat Ohio State again because, frankly, Ryan Day is just fun to beat because of all the whining that he does, I'm afraid you're not going to get your chance because I believe Michigan, once again, is going to render Ohio State incapable of making the uh, college football playoff. And Jim Harbaugh may, or may very well end Ryan Day's career there in Columbus. Uh, the kind of histrionics after the game though that's just conduct unbecoming a coach who wants to be you know kind of at the highest level stop picking on 86 year old Lou Holtz and stop bragging about beating Notre Dame anyone of note beats Notre Dame Notre Dame's never beaten anyone of consequence uh this entire chapter for uh, Ryan Day uh pretty disappointing for a coach that you would like to think was ready to kind of take the next step he is 
pretty obviously, though, not ready for the uh, next level. And we'll make that cruising around the SEC, courtesy of Royal Caribbean. It's also very late. So let me try to pick up the pace here a little bit. First of all, quick shout out to our friends at Tacovas. Talk about a great pair of boots. Uh, if you're ready to do that or maybe some fine Western goods yourself, check out the Tacovas store right there at the shops around Lenox here, uh, right here in the Atlanta area. You can grab a cold one. They got a great knowledgeable staff. They can kind of walk you through all the choices available. Great boots, uh, comfortable handcrafted boots. Uh, you're doing work. You just want to look good. Uh, you just love that kind of Western style, the Western wear. Uh, you get that there at the uh, Tacova store right there in the shops around uh, Linux. So stop by and get yourself a uh, pair of Tacovas and remember, don't go gently with our friends from Tacovas. All right, so uh, we will not go gently either. Uh, we got to step into uh, something else here on our show. Unfortunately, not great news to close things out today. There was a decommitment yesterday, and it's a big one, to Georgia's class of 2024. NICAR, receiver from Coquit County, who been committed to Georgia for a while and really was having a sensational senior season, is having a sensational Caesar, senior season. Stepping away from his Georgia commitment, uh, Hayes Fawcett at Dawn 3, putting this out there uh, last night. Jeff Sintel, in writing about the uh, NICAR decommitment at DogNation.com, said that he recently acknowledged that Florida State was still recruiting him. He said that earlier this month, and that he speaks to everyone in the Florida State staff. When asked by a reporter at the Lee County game, that's the South Georgia game that uh, Florida uh, that, uh, that Calcutt County recently played and won, uh, he said that the program, the Florida State program, impresses him with the way they aired the ball out against LSU. And obviously, right now, Florida State does have an incredible crop of wide receivers. We thought they would use those to their advantage to beat Clemson. That's pretty much exactly how that game played out. We do think the NICAR is going to be an outstanding college wide receiver there as well. At this point in time, my assumption is that it now will not be at Georgia. Sometimes when Georgia you know, loses a recruiting battle, we still expect Georgia to be a factor here. I don't know in the case of NICAR, that's necessarily the way that I see this going. Jeff mentioning Florida State. We've heard Miami mentioned here, there too. And we'll give you one more from on three. There is also chatter in the immediate aftermath of decommitting from Georgia that NICAR is going to visit Auburn on Saturday as a guest of Auburn, ironically enough, for the game in which Georgia's coming in. So things moving fast here with NICAR on the heels of a Georgia decommitment. I'm not going to sugarcoat this. This is disappointing. I like NICAR as a player. I'm very excited to have him here at Georgia. It obviously represents a little bit of a final frontier for UGA, that ability to go out and collect and, and win with the very best wide receivers. Carr was supposed to be one of the guys to help you kind of kick in the door there on that. Not quite happening here in, in uh, class of 2020-24 as it relates to Carr. Obviously, there'll be more opportunities for more you know receivers for Georgia to win with. And another Georgia commit like Nitro Tuggle, he's off, you know having a very good senior season too. But you know, the car decommitment hurts a little bit. That's a little bit of a disappointment, and uh, we will obviously see where uh, NICAR goes from there. On a happier note, to wrap things up here today, you know, every week when we're at home for Georgia home game, we have our Dog Nation post game show at the UGA Bookstore. We always appreciate folks who stop by to see us, and they are part of that. In fact, I want to give a shout-out here. Uh, James Young sent this over to me. Uh, he says, the moment my 8-year-old son got to meet one of his heroes, thanks for taking the time uh, to, to make his year. Well, I really appreciate this. The Young stopping by to see us there. Dog Nation post game. So this is actually from last week. Uh, what a great experience that was. And just really, really uh, appreciate that. The Young family coming over to see us. Uh, fine young man. Great experience to get a chance to do that. So if you're leaving a Georgia game, you want to pop by and see us there for the uh, – dog nation post game show at the uj bookstore we're always happy to say hello young fans and everybody in between uh what a great experience that is really one of the best parts of my job getting a chance to talk to folks there uh on a game day saturday great georgia fans coming into athens each and every week always a lot of fun 
and great to meet this young fella here right there as well how about the lousy stinking gators 33 days from right now georgia back in jacks will beaten up on florida again that is our gator hater countdown and we'll see all of you back here tomorrow dog nation daily presented by pella window and door of georgia